Welcome back to the Future Cities Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Elser. This month, we're bringing you a different sort of episode, where in the past, we've talked a lot about scientific knowledge relating to resilience. In this episode, we want to bring you a different sort of knowledge. Uh, We had our annual all-hands meeting in late March, where we invited uh, all the researchers and many of the practitioners in our network from all nine cities uh, to Phoenix to meet and talk about ongoing research and resilience. Um, And we wanted to have a special focus this time uh, on resilience, equity, and diversity. And with that in mind, we thought it would be a good idea to bring poets in from the Phoenix area to share their poems on these topics to help us uh, think about these issues in a new light. We, as scientists, often only hear from other scientists about these issues, and we thought that poets might help to create a new space for us to think about resilience. We scientists also often struggle to convey information in in digestible ways, and we hope that by sharing these poems with you, that some of these ideas will be more relatable. Further, many UREX researchers who missed the poetry readings wanted another opportunity to listen, and we thought that a podcast would be a great way to bring the poems to these researchers and to our broader public audience here on the Future Cities podcast. And with us today is the poetry event organizer and UREX PhD student, Robert Hobbins. Welcome, Robert. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, so, can you tell us, uh, as a climate change adaptation scientist, uh, why was it so important for you to organize an event like this? That's true. I study climate change adaptation, but I also study how people and organizations come to know the cities they live in and what knowledge they deem is valuable to them. What I found in my research is that a lot of scientific and expert knowledge is regarded much higher than non-scientific and people's lived experiences. So I wanted the La Red poetry event to feature the voices of artists as non-scientists, to take a glimpse into their world and the way they understand issues of resilience, equity, and diversity in cities. We reached out to local Phoenix area poets from such organizations as Four Chambers Press, New Carpa Theater Collective, Voices of Our Nation's Art Foundation, and Arizona State University to invite them to read a poem on resilience, equity, and diversity in cities for the UREX All Hands meeting. We had such a great turnout and response from the audience at the event that we decided to turn the event into a podcast episode with the added bonus of learning what inspired each of the poets to write their poems, what they wanted us to think or feel about it, and the power of poetry as a tool for social transformation towards more resilient and equitable places to live. The first half of the episode features the poems and poets, while the second half discusses the power of poetry to transform society. We are extremely grateful to each of our guest poets, and also grateful to the UREX program coordinator, Emily Key, and UREX grad student, Yulia Zubin, for their help in making this episode possible. Our first poem of this Future Cities episode is by Kimberly Kurth, a graduate student at Arizona State University. Welcome, Kimberly. Hello there. My name is Kimberly Kurth. I'm a master's student at Arizona State University in literature and women and gender studies. I work full-time as a newspaper editor. I've been writing poetry since middle school, maybe sooner. I mostly write poems to be read by other people on the page, or even just for my own sake, but occasionally I'll write pieces that benefit from being performed, like this one. So without further ado, here's my poem, Uprooted. I passed a man on the sidewalk today, and he told his daughter, that there's a Palo Verde, thick-skinned. He was talking about the tree in front of him, but I like to think he was referring to me. You see, Me and trees, trees and me, we have a lot in common, or at least I want us to. We stand tall, powerful, 
branches stretching forward, up, and out in every which way to connect with people. We are nurturers, providing shade and beauty for the people who plant us and help us grow. Look at me. I'm pretty. My leaves dancing in the breeze. My silhouette dark against the glow of the Arizona sunset. Look at me. I'll cover you. Shield you from those spying eyes burning into your soul, reddening your skin and making you sick. Look at me. I'll walk with you to wherever you need to go. Fling my green limbs over your head like an umbrella, even though you don't know what rain is. Look at me. I love you. We are caretakers, building homes for dozens of critters, birds and squirrels and bees and caterpillars. Even when they hurt us, we still offer them love. And if that isn't forgiveness and acceptance, I don't know what is. Here, make your home in me. Here, burrow in tight. Here, stay for a while. You're welcome here. I welcome you. We are historians, adding layers around our middles to remember each event in our lives. I keep my childhood locked away closest to me, safe from everyone else's eyes, but they can look at my bark coat, the last few pounds, and read in the wrinkles of my skin where I've been in the years since they've talked to me. See what the world has seen and feel what the world has felt. Everyone who has gone through my life has carved their initials into my torso, a living guest book of everyone who passed by. Take my story down from the shelf. Open up the pages of my book. Lose yourself in the tale for a while. I'll read to you. Yeah, I like to think I have a lot in common with trees. My gnarled bark covering up years of wisdom and recovered from pain. You can see the scars etched into my thick trunk, but you know they never made it all the way through to my core because I am still intact. Standing tall and powerful, branches reaching out. I am the thick-skinned tree you tell your daughter about as you walk down the sidewalk. I am a nurturer, a caretaker, a historian, and I am resilient. Wow, that was really powerful. I don't think I'll ever look at a tree the same way again. What inspired you to write this poem, Kimberly? I was 16 when I wrote this poem. I'd been living in Phoenix for about a year, going to ASU, and just trying to figure out who I was and what I wanted to do in life. The opening conversation between the father and his daughter really happened, and from what I remember, I immediately sat down on the first bench I could find, jotted down what they said, and then the rest of the, the poem flowed pretty quickly from that. What did you want your audience to think or feel by telling this poem? I never expect readers or listeners to receive a specific message from something I've written. I see the creative process as a conversation or a negotiation between two people. Obviously, there's meaning that I intend to convey when I sit down to write, but I try to keep my mind open to what others might draw from my poems. I just hope they connect to them in some way. So, I hope everyone listening to this finds something for themselves in my poem, too. 
Our second guest poet is Jake Friedman, marketing and outreach specialist at the Virginia G. Piper Center for Creative Writing at Arizona State University. Jake is also the founding director of the Four Chambers Press, an independent community literary magazine and small press based in Phoenix, Arizona. Jake originally wrote his poem for the National Poetry Month celebration event sponsored by the City of Phoenix's Office of Arts and Culture, which will take place on Saturday, April 21st from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. His poem will be featured on the 7th Avenue Streetscape near 7th Avenue in Indian School. I encourage anyone in Phoenix listening to this podcast to go check it out. My name is Jake Friedman. I currently work as the marketing and outreach specialist at the, it's a mouthful, Virginia G. Piper Center for Creative Writing at Arizona State University. Lately, I've been doing um, poetry again, and so uh, I'm really interested in research and uh, discourse, so I kind of conceive of my work as uh, critical creative work. So I think a lot of people are trying to do, like, say, creative criticism in an academic space. I'm trying to bring in sort of certain um, methods which might be familiar to um, scholars or academics uh, in a cultural studies field into writing. So let's jump into the poem that you had shared with us at our Urban Resilience Extremes Sustainability Research Network mm-hmm. All Hands meeting. So this poem is called Vigil and it has a timestamp and it is 527 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, December 22nd, 2017. Last night they launched a satellite into space, strange angel, a votive, gently glowing away. When they promise us stars, replace constellations, save our species from a future extinction, don't forget who is left here, earthbound, uncertain, sky above darker than it has ever been. What inspired you to write that poem? I had kind of been doing a lot of research into sustainability already and had some sort of ideas to draw from on that. And I had also been getting asthma, which was weird. And like, I had to go to the urgent care. It was really, really worrisome to be sort of suddenly like, I can't breathe. And so I was just like thinking about all of these things as I was there and taking some notes and, and kind of feeling it out. Um, and then, uh, I don't know, I saw some sort of connection between like, um, the SpaceX launch, which the poem sort of references with the timestamp, and then um, my own asthma, because I was just thinking about um, the SpaceX launch. If you if you didn't see it, it was really really visible here in Arizona and California, and so they were. Sent- I watched it live. Yeah, and so I just started like I just looked up what this thing in the sky was or what the SpaceX, because I was like, well, maybe you know that's putting things into the air and those are getting into my lungs and throat and. Um, it fit really well with the call. Um, you know, SpaceX is making a lot of claims. Uh, one, it's using a reusable rocket, right, which is um, fits very well with the idea of sustainability. Uh, and you know, Elon Musk has this kind of um, manifesto, you might call it, where he sort of makes the claim that he's doing this in the ultimate interest of humanity. Um, that specific launch of Falcon 9 is not about um, saving humanity or taking them to Mars, right? It's about replacing satellites in a satellite network or constellation for business. And it's about, uh, and it, so it wasn't even SpaceX, they rented out the rocket. It's, it's a business 
enterprise. And so for me, I just thought that that was a point of tension that could be um, explored in a poem or that would fit really well as a space for critique. Our third guest poet of this episode is Rashad Thomas from Voices of Our Nation's Art Foundation. Welcome, Rashad, to the program. Peace and blessings. My name is Rashad Thomas. I'm a United States Air Force veteran, loving husband, loving father, a poet, an essayist, and a Phoenix Center for the Arts Engagement Manager. Rashad, would you mind telling us the title of your poem and reading it for us? Watermelon Boy Sees the World in Black and White. Black sky, white light, white words, white you, black snake, white bones, white cries, black book, white page, black sin, white legs, white eggs, white dress, black dirt, white child, white pig, black spook, white lens, white horse, black cow, white milk, black pail, white knight, white hat, white face, black face, white chick, white hand, black dick, white signs, black face, white wash, white lies, black feet, White cops, black boy, black gun, black back, white smoke, black street, white chalk, white teeth, white wings, black hole, black slang, white stain, black pain, white hoods, black jig, black spade, black card, black coon, black girl, black god, white hole, black church, black home, white flight, black death, white face, black off, black on, 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 black crime, white myth, black out. Rashad's poem first appeared in Decolonizer magazine on September 2016, with the title of White Flashes. I wrote this poem in response to hashtag Oscar so white. It encouraged me to look at the world through different lenses, but I also wanted to look at the lens that I see the world in and we often talk about seeing the world in as in black and white, uh, man or woman, male or female, good or bad. And I thought, what do we tend to use as a metaphor or relate to in describing these concepts? And I looked at and questioned black and white. Because I learned something, uh, it's a theory called binary oppositional thinking. I was reading a a piece uh, by Patricia Hill Collins. And it's the idea of looking at different lenses, not through the binary, but somewhere in the middle. So for example, you have a woman and a man, you have a child. Black and white is gray. But I wanted to look at how we define black and white and as we see people as black and white, what the dictionary tells us is black is bad, evil, and white is pure, good. And so in this poem, I used those ideas. For example, a black cow gives white milk or a black, a black chicken 
gives a white egg. Now, we look at the world in black and white, so I wanted to write a poem actually highlighting how overt our biases are when it comes to black and white. Thanks, Rashad. What did you want your audience to think or feel when listening to your poem? So when I wrote this poem, I had the audience in mind, but I think it was more so for me. Um, I wanted to explore my biases, my prejudices, um, my privileges as a man. Um, and I thought that it was best to write it down. And I wanted to give this feeling of being uncomfortable because seeing in the world as a black man and seeing all the things as in black and white, white folks having these certain privileges, not having to worry to be followed by the police in a white neighborhood. Um, because I've been, I am black. I'm a black man, been stopped walking while black in a white neighborhood. So I wanted my audience to feel that uncomfortableness. Using those slurs and those vulgar words that we tend to hear as people of color. Um, and I wanted that to be the obvious. And each word or combination of word creates an image or a sensation in the mind. And sometimes it may connect with the heart because a lot of people might relate. But the whole idea is to make the audience uncomfortable. And it's not just white folks, but also those who also see the world in black and white. But I don't necessarily think looking at the world as black and white is bad. And here this oppositional, binary oppositional thinking comes to play. Yes, there's gray areas. Yes, there's black and there's white. Yes, there's brown and black and white. Yes, there are indigenous and immigrants. But those all represent a culture, a community. Black, brown, white, yellow, red. Those are all colors that represent a people, a culture, an experience, a community, which makes the United States, not a melting pot, but a tossed salad where we should acknowledge and try to understand each community. So that was the reason why I wanted to write this poem, because it's I think it's important to complicate things. Our last guest poet is Anna Flores. Anna's poem was selected as a winner of the Red Poetry Competition during the UX All Hands meeting. Anna's poem was also recently published in her new book called Poetry Theory. We are very fortunate to have had her read her poem at the event and to share it again here on the Future Cities podcast. Welcome, Anna, to the program. My name is Anna Flores, and I am an undergrad at ASU. I started, I changed my major quite a few times like any other student, but I started off as a journalism major, and then I switched my major to English, but I'm also really interested in law, the way legislation is made, especially here in Arizona, um, because right now my day job is as a media consultant to immigrant um, 
aid grassroots organizations. Okay. So I kind of get stuck between these two worlds, very political, legal um, world, and then also my creative writing, which is what I sort of do on my own. And they both help each other out, though, because I write about immigrant families, about my own family. Could you share with us the title of your poem, and then would you mind to, yeah, to read it? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. This poem is called Mexicans Are Such Hard Workers. Mexicans are such hard workers. I overhear my porcelain teachers clink their teeth together, a toast in celebration of their tongues, proud to be so kind. My father borrows a name so he can beat us. He stops introducing himself to people. He never answers the phone. I dream about what he was before he was illegal. Wake up with fingers broken from weaving God's hair. Two braids, double trinity. My mom and I leave our Bibles at the end of the bench near the aisle so we can find our seats every Sunday. I stare at everyone when their heads are bowed, in awe of their nakedness. But prayers only work if you close your eyes. I was born with Nana's lips, but this voice is mine only. It's not green, white, and red. It's not red, white, and blue. It's rain in a silver bucket. At home, the men pluck their eyes out while they eat dinner. The world would end if we saw them cry. Mexicans are such hard workers. Mexicans are such hard workers. Mexicans are workers. Mexicans work. Mexican work. Work. Mexican work. Mexicans are such hard workers. They say it like it's an honor to watch my father die. And that's Mexicans are such hard workers. And it's about, originally it was about my dad, but I grew up with about three men in the household, so I think it's not just about him. I sort of saw my brothers and my uncles kind of go through the same thing. And it, it's, it's like the narrative of like what a good immigrant is and what a bad immigrant is. And a good immigrant is like, if you're Asian, you know, you're really smart. And if you're Mexican, then you do really hard work. And um, it's it, di it didn't feel good to be told that that was a good thing, that, you know, our fathers were willing to do really, really terrible, late, hard labor for very little money. Like, that was a good thing about us. A few months ago, maybe like five months ago, my father actually fell off a roof and he broke his leg. It could have been worse, so, you know. Um, but I was thinking, like, he shouldn't have been on that roof. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, and... And I was like, he, he shouldn't have been up there, you know, he's a, he's not old and he's a very strong man, but he just, he shouldn't have to be working on a roof anymore. And, and that was so, it wasn't so long ago. And that just like makes me think that, or it makes me realize that it's not a thing of my past, you know, it's not, writing this isn't some sort of memoir about, about past, you know, Anna or my father. It's sort of just this ongoing 
realization and and one that isn't just my story there's so many people who experience the same things what did you hope for do you hope that people um think or feel when they hear your poem you know to make a poem you sort of have to structure a title you have to build the beginning the middle the end even it doesn't matter how abstract it is like you still are trying to make sure that a message is conveyed or that a feeling is conveyed or that you are thinking about your audience in the same way that a political speech you know is built and so I think that I I would want you know a, a poem to be able to have that function I think that that's important I don't think that it it should just be enjoyed, and and that's and that's sort of a a, a conclusion I've come to recently. I, and I don't think a lot of people would agree. I think a lot of people would say that poetry is meant to be consumed for its ability to heal or for its ability to take someone to another world or for its ability to be beautiful but I think that there's that was just limited capability I think that it has so much more reach than that especially now um, when people are even as the world seems a little crazy people are still willing to listen and I think that a poem should be able to function that way and if it does then it's doing it. That to me is a, that to me is a working piece of art. If it's able to do that, to reach people the same way that a, a politician can reach someone, you know, on a, standing on a stage somewhere. That concludes the readings of the Urex La Red Resilience, Equity, and Diversity Poetry Competition. The second half of our episode, Poems for Resilient and Equitable Cities, features Anna, Rashad, and Jake as they reflect on the power of poetry to serve as a tool for building more resilient and equitable cities. Our first set of questions are for Rashad. How do different ways of knowing and communicating like poetry and the arts complement our scientific understandings of resilience, equity, and diversity issues in cities? My poetry, it doesn't represent or complement scientific understandings of resilience, equity, or diversity issues. Because I'm not, as a black man, I am pessimistic because I've had all these difficult experiences that doesn't give me any hope about resilience, equity, or diversity. But as many say, you have to learn how to cope with it. And I use art and my poetry to cope with these. Some may define that as resilience. Resilience perpetuates equity, equity perpetuates diversity. But diversity is like the melting pot. Equity is just a way to say, I'm better than you. And we need to figure out how we can see each other as the same. We need to see how we can get access to good schools, good homes, clean water. Yes, we need all those things. But how do we change that now? After almost 400 years of slavery for black people, colonization of America, 
genocide of indigenous folks, treating black, brown, Asian American, all as criminals or the enemy? How do we undo that after four or 500 years? We can't. So in the moment that we're talking about, let's have equity, let's have diversity, it's impossible. In order to reach those goals, we have to start from the bottom up. The infrastructure's already built. We need to destroy that infrastructure in order to reach the goal of equity, reach the goal of diversity in a sense where we're actually understanding each culture, each community as a puzzle piece that all comes together and makes a puzzle. What effect do poems such as yours have in transforming people? I think my poems in some ways infuriates people. And so I think that's good in a way because it starts folks thinking about how they see the world, how they can understand people who are different, may have different backgrounds. So if I could touch one person, may it be a person that relates or a person that starts to question their beliefs, then I've, I think the art I create has done justice. This is all to say that, yes, my poetry is used to transform not only people, but my mind in the way that I see the world. And it's not just black and white, but also seeing how I have certain privileges as a black man who was born in America So questioning my beliefs, questioning the lens I see the world, but also combining that with people in one space. So I sit at a desk, I write, but I write with the intention of changing not only my mind or sharing my story, but also thinking of people in my community. And in hopes, I think I want to relate to someone. I want someone to maybe not like what I wrote, but I also want people to actually, everyone to question their beliefs. And I think that empowers not just the individual, but again, our community as a whole. Next, we listen to Jake Friedman. The poem is going to be physically present on a streetscape, on a 7th Avenue. And so that's a physical space where people are occupying. But the poem also creates um, a cognitive space that people are occupying too. So it's saying, you know, once you're reading it, you're also here with me in time. And so that's just a different way of reaching someone. So some transformational capacity of this poem to uh, really, you know, invites people that are just walking down the street to engage with the poem 
and you know maybe transform themselves uh, intellectually, yeah. Um, emotionally. I think I think that um, I would be really uh, impressed or very surprised if anybody was transformed, right? Yeah. I think that's like the really <laughs> like that's like the best yeah. outcome, right? Like the, my ideal vision would be somebody's transformed, but you know I'm actually not sort of so interested in um, transforming, so to speak. Um, I think that, you know, when we talk about, I think things take, just take more time than that. So, you know, I'm just hoping realistically that like people will read it and sort of say like, oh, that's interesting. Right. And like walk down the street and that I was able to give them 15 seconds of modest pleasure. Like that's really my goal for it. I don't think that the artist's place um, or the poem's place or what the poem can do is to sort of create transformation or create change. I really think it's, it's more of just a slow, like, you know, setting the foundation, warming things up, building capacity, building potential, so that when we do have these opportunities to create change, and we live in a political system that, you know, regulates that, so these come up all the time, we're a little bit more able to um, be informed about those decisions and, and where we go through that. Now reaching the end of our episode, we finish with some thoughts from Anna on the power of poetry to transform individuals in society towards more resilient and equitable cities. What do you think poems such as yours have in transforming people? Mm -hmm. I think they should be able to, I think even if they don't, I think that should be a purpose of it. I, I am very interested in the, the function of a poem and not just the intellectual merit or, or, how pretty it sounds or how it makes somebody Poetry feel as a, as a I think it's a yeah. yeah I think I think it would be wrong of us to just simply want to make something artistic for the sake of showing off you know our skill and kind of related to the previous question how do different ways of knowing and communicating like poetry and the arts complement our scientific understandings of resilience, equity, and diversity issues in cities. Yeah, I, I think I, I think the the reason why these two work together, you know, I, is because inherently all it is is a human sort of drive for curiosity, right? We're asking questions and on both ends of the spectrums. A poem is a question. Sometimes it has no answer. Sometimes it literally is just what is happening, <laughs> you know, in the same way that any sort of hypothesis seeks not an answer, but sort of the process of trying to come to an answer. These two work in the same way. And um, when I first started writing, I... It was all about myself <laughs> because that's what I knew and because I thought that poetry was supposed to be the answer. I thought poetry was supposed to be you write something that you know the answer to and you share it with somebody else. And that still happens sometimes. But when I sort of started really listening, right, started really observing, that's when I was making stuff that I'm proud of because... It is that sort of scientific process of looking before you ask or listening before you speak. And I think these two worlds have that in common. In many ways, poetry is pretty scientific. <laughs> you know, it, I ha 
I do a lot of research, you know. A lot of poetry writing is actually Googling, like, what is the birth of a star or <laughs> how many, how on average, how many hair follicles does a human have, <laughs> like, you know? Yeah, we had the same discussion with uh, Jake. He was telling me about yeah. his researching SpaceX and yes. the rocket that he saw, you know, and then there comes his poem. It was kind yes. of born out of that you know, investigation of what's going on, some sort of phenomena or experience yeah. that, it's sort of yeah. like a stubborn need to know, even though we know we don't have, you know, the years of research behind us. It's like, I'm still going to try and write a poem about this thing that is just encompassing humanity in some sort of way and try to understand it, try to understand it for the sake of telling someone else, like, hey, look at this. <laughs> Do you want to share this? admiration or this sorrow or this anger this rage let's let's um find our own connection through this poem because it's and it's not like i want to say the 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 curiosity is pure but i mean that in a way that's like it is free of of a lot of different petty human um hatreds or biases because it's a question and then question questions are pretty innocent in that form where you're just like I I don't understand this and I may not understand it because of my background or because of the way I've been raised but I conclusion is that I still don't understand it and therefore I'm going to ask this question and that's sort of the that's the quality science is allowed you know and there's a downside to that because science is also thought of as very dry or very indifferent or very cold. Um, but it doesn't need, yeah. But it doesn't need to be. And and politics, you know, are so complicated that it's like difficult to even understand them. And looking from the perspective of the scientific quote unquote world, um, but I think what your question was was maybe about whether or not science needs to be cold and it doesn't especially if it interacts with something like poetry so I think science and poetry and communication they've all they're stronger or more functional together my final question today is can poems promote individual or social transformation towards more resilient and equitable places to live yes Definitely. Especially when you ask that question, I think about architecture. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, that in itself is an art, at least in my opinion, you know. Um, but I've read about um, different places where, you know, people were living very poverty stricken. And the question was how do we make these homes not look terrible or so sad or, you know, how do we make a, a, a living space that allows these people to be inspired every day? And I think that goes the same, that just translates into any sort of environment, you know? If you can change the way we talk about an environment, we can change the way the people in that environment feel. And that just goes back to rhetoric and who's allowed to speak for, about, and to, but never... Um, actually include them in the conversation and 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of it relies on that, actually, the way that we communicate, the way that we speak, the way that we allow others to um, interact or join the conversation can change the whole environment itself. I mean, it's sort of like the sonic environment of <laughs> of of um, these social spheres or the the communication that we allow to have happen or the communication that we allow ourselves to kind of interact with what questions are we allowed to say poetry I think can have a really big role in changing an environment like how Jake said it it's kind of like creating spaces Mm -hmm. uh, for discourse to happen in society yeah, and it's it's uncomfortable sometimes because the people that we deem marginalized, you know, um, a lot of the time they don't have the luxury of thinking so much about it, you know. They don't of of sitting back and being like, well, what are what are the different options here, or who who am I going to talk to? You know, a lot of people actually just have to live that day you know but they have so much to say they just aren't asked you know they're just not asked how do you feel about where you're living how do you feel about where you're working how do you feel about this you know if you asked some of the people that I know or that I've worked with they probably would have to take some time to even understand that they're being asked for their opinion you know so I think creating spaces is all the diff- is what would make all the difference for both sides of the conversation. That's like the perfect sound bite. (laughs) (laughs) That concludes our episode on Poems for Resilient and Equitable Cities. I would like to thank our guest poets, Kimberly, Rashad, Anna, and Jake for sharing their amazing poems with us. I hope you have all enjoyed this episode of Future Cities Podcast. Back to you, Stephen. Thanks for listening. We hope that these poems resonated with you as much as they did with us. If you have reflections on the poems, please head over to the URX SRN blog and add your comments. Uh, look on our Twitter account at Future Cities Pod for the link to the blog. You can also email us at futurecitiespodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us if you have questions or suggestions for future episodes. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.